Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. How many of y'all are counting down the days to Christmas at your house? Yeah? I know the anticipation is great at the Atkinson household. My wife begins about November 1st. And um, with the round the clock Christmas music and the decorations and the um, torturous playing of the Hallmark Christmas movies. Some of y'all have seen these. I don't get them. There's about three different plot lines that they recycle. One has to do with a businessman hiring a personal shopper. Uh, Another one is some city slicker who gets uh, stuck in a small podunk town for Christmas, meets someone who drives a pickup truck and has a golden retriever, and you can swap out characters there however you want. And then there's a plot line that always involves Candace Cameron relocating to Alaska. No lies. Someone asked Courtney the other day, they said, oh, did you see the, the, the movie with Candace Cameron that she relocates to Alaska? No lie. She says... Do you mean that one or the other movie where Candace Cameron relocates to Alaska? Hallmark movies. I I, I don't get them. I always walk in the room and annoy Courtney because I I watch about two minutes and I say, do you want me to tell you how it's going to end? She throws something at me. No, I know how it's going to end. Well, why do you watch it? You know, we have something else we do. And by we, I mean me um, at the end of the movie where I'll do a countdown to the snowflakes, you know. It's going to snow in, wait for it, three, two, one. And she's like, oh, I hate you, stop. She loves it, though, because it is an anticipation of Christmas. She knows that when those movies start, that Christmas is on the way. And in our household, Christmas is a game changer. Everything changes at Christmas time. We continue today our series called It's Obvious, and it's an Advent series, and we've looked at the role of Joseph in the Christmas story. Last week, Chuck talked about Mary and her role, and today we get to the announcement that Jesus has been born in Luke chapter 2. Now, this was an announcement that had been anticipated for a long time. In fact, in the Old Testament, there's 333 promises and prophecies that the Messiah would come. There's 400 years of silence. I've heard it said that the Old Testament is like a ballet. Everyone's on their tiptoes waiting for the Messiah. And so when the announcement comes that the baby has been born, this is a huge deal. And we pick up the story in Luke Chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby. They were keeping watch over their flocks at night. Let's stop right here and kind of set the stage for this announcement because it's important to understand the setting here. There were shepherds. We're talking about the, the, the lowest class in this society, a lowly despised group near the bottom of the social ladder. 
In fact, because shepherding was a a 24-7 job, the religious leaders knew that these guys could not keep the man-made Sabbath law, so they were considered ceremonially unclean or outcast. Certainly not folks you would imagine such a big announcement of such great importance coming to. These shepherds were out in the fields. Now, it's important to understand something about these fields here. You have Jerusalem up here, five and a half miles from Jerusalem. You have the little town of Bethlehem. And when we sing about the little town of Bethlehem, it was little. We're told there are about 200 maybe residents in Bethlehem. It was the little town. And just outside the little town of Bethlehem, you have the shepherd's fields. It's about two miles from the actual birthplace of Jesus. Now, these fields have significance. There's history to them. In the book of Ruth, we see that these were referred to as the fields of Boaz. And the whole idea of redemption and kinsman redeemer uh, was kind of foreshadowed in this field. In these same fields, we read that David was a shepherd And we read about the the time that the prophet Samuel came to him and gave a word from the Lord when he was looking to anoint the new king. And he says, God doesn't look at people like man looks at them. For man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And he anoints David as the next king in these fields. So there's a, a, a real significance to what's going on in these fields. And it says, these shepherds were in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Now, sheep had a lot of uses in this culture, but none use was more important than the use of these sheep being used in temple sacrifice. And these shepherds were no doubt watching and raising and guarding some important sheep, sheep that would be used in the temple. And so this is the backdrop when this exciting, the biggest announcement ever in the history of the world comes to pass. And we read about that down in Luke chapter 2 and verse 9 we start. It says, now an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. I would imagine so. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, too late for that, do not be afraid, for I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people, for today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and he is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger, And then suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, a multitude. We don't know how many this was. The Greek word that that, uh, was for the highest number you could count was 10,000. So we don't know if there were tens of thousands or millions, but a great multitude appeared and they praised God and they said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace to Uh, to whom his favor rest. 
So we have these shepherds, the lowest of the low, out in their fields keeping watch over their flock. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of their night, unexpectedly, the night turns to day as an angel appears and the glory of God lights up the sky. Now, people today like, they make a big deal out of birth announcements, right? Back in the day, it used to be, you know, baby's born and you're like, what is it? Oh, it's a boy, everybody. Hey, pretty good. Nowadays, we got these like sonograms and these 4D and these 8D and all these pictures and people show them on Facebook and they're like, oh, my baby's so cute. And you're like, no, your baby looks like E.T., you know, looks like a bug. And, you know, my wife's punching me. You can't say that. Baby looks like a bug. I'm just saying. But people get so excited about announcing the birth and these gender reveal parties. You ever been to one of these? Apparently, they're a really big deal. Chuck and I were uh, eating a while back at a restaurant, and someone had a gender reveal party, and they had balloons, and they were cheering and all that. People take birth announcements really, really seriously. Uh, I hesitate to share this story because last week, Chuck says, any man that walks in Hobby Lobby should immediately have their man card revoked. But um, I was in Hobby Lobby a while back, and it was for a good reason. We were doing a camp, and we wanted to make a twister board for our students, a twister board that would accommodate 200-plus students. And um, so I had some hardcore crafting, I guess, I was doing, looking for some paint. And as I'm walking down Hobby Lobby uh, aisle completely lost, I notice a couple there, and I realize they're shopping for one of these gender reveal deals, right? They were putting everything baby blue in their basket they could find, you know? The guy was uncomfortable. Uh, the, the woman was having a great time. But I notice her face all of a sudden turns to one of, from one of joy to one of shock, like, and um, the, the lady takes about two steps and dives on top of the cart, right? Imagine this, pregnant woman diving on top of a cart. And so I'm like, what in the world's happening? Apparently her best friend had walked in to Hobby Lobby and they'd come face to face or face to back and the woman's uh, shocked, her announcement's ruined, and she looks at her husband, who's just standing there minding his own business, and she's like, quick, quick. And, you know, I, I, he's like, what does that mean? You know, quick what? You got a pregnant woman in a cart. She's horrified. The guy's just standing there. She says, quick. It's not like he's in Lowe's or Academy Sports or Bass Pro Shop where he knows the back way out, you know? And he looks at me and I'm just like, dude, what do you want me to do? I'm not touching this. And we're both thinking, wow, that cart holds a lot of weight. This is awesome. <laughs> but her moment was ruined. And it was such a big deal to her because she wanted everything to be perfect about her announcement. And her and her friend were just like, hey, what are you doing? Nothing. Me neither. Bye. And they both awkwardly, uh, one walked, one waddled away. And, um, but it's a big deal. Picture this. This birth announcement was the biggest deal. It was a game changer in history. This is the biggest birth announcement that there had ever been or will ever be. For the angel says, unto you this day is born the Savior, the Messiah, 
Lord. There's no doubt in this moment who they're talking about. There is no doubt in this moment when the sky lights up with tens and thousands of angels angels, and the night turns today and they're making this announcement. There is no doubt that this is not only a big deal, but this is the biggest deal. And for these shepherds, it was kind of a good news, bad news scenario. The good news is a savior has been born, check it out, to you not to the world, not to humanity. The Savior has been born to you, lowly shepherds. The Messiah has come. The bad news is, oh, you're gonna be out of business right now because of this. And in this moment, when the shepherds hear the greatest news ever told, a Savior has come to them Three things I see become real obvious to them real fast. The first one we see in verse 15 here. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. It became obvious that they needed to respond immediately. This news was huge. And when the angel left, they said to one another, hey, let's go. Another translation says, let us go now or let us go straight to see what the Lord has told us. They didn't say, well, what are we going to do with these sheep? Or, well, I don't know. It's nighttime. Maybe we should wait for the morning. They said, in light of this news right now, let's get to stepping. Let's roll. Let's move. Let's get out of here. And they dropped what they were doing and they took off. They did not want to miss what God was doing right now. How many times has God showed up in your life and has been in the way of an interruption? It's been unexpected. It hasn't met your plans or your agenda or your 10-year plan. And God said, come on, let's see. See, these shepherds responded immediately, and when they responded, their reaction to this good news was actually in stark contrast to what we see a little bit later in the religious leaders in Jerusalem. For when the wise men come, they stop and they tell Herod, hey, we've seen this star, we've heard news of the Messiah. Herod goes and consults the chief priests and the religious leaders. And he says, where's the Messiah going to be born? And they say, in the city of David, in Bethlehem. They knew all about him, but yet the religious leaders, there's no mention of them making the five-mile track, the short walk from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see Christ. They missed Jesus by five miles, five miles. That's from here to the Mall of Georgia. From here to Swanee, that's five miles. And these guys, they knew the prophecy. They heard he had been born. And while they made a big idea of the Messiah, studying him, learning about it, reciting prophecy and promises, they failed to make the biggest deal of the person of Jesus. They knew so much. They were so near. But they made such little effort to know Jesus how many people sit in churches today that have the same MO? 
man, they know a lot about Jesus. They got a lot of tradition. They even talk about him. They're so near, but yet they fail to run to him. And running to Jesus is exactly what the shepherds did. Look in verse 16 with me. It says, they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. The second thing that became obvious here is that they could leave their objects of religion behind. Think about the important job they had of watching these sheep that would be used to sacrifice. But in the light and the reality of the good news, they left those sheep behind and they ran to Jesus. To understand the significance of this, I think it's important that we realize the significance of the Old Testament sacrificial system. See, God's solution to the problem of sin is sacrifice. Now, a lot of Christians know that, well, yeah, I believe that that Jesus died to save me of my sins. I believe that when he shed his blood on the cross, that, that that covers my sins, that offers forgiveness for my sins. But yet they don't really understand that how Jesus's death is the fulfillment of a much larger story. And how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together perfectly to tell one beautiful love story. See, sacrifice is seen all throughout the Old Testament. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sinned. And we're told that in their sin, they felt shame and they recognized their nakedness and they went out and they tried to cover their nakedness with leaves. God comes to them and he brings them clothes made of animal skin. See, as soon as sin entered the world, God made a way to deal with that sin through sacrifice. Now, the sacrificial system is not fully developed or explained until the book of Leviticus, but when God gave the law to Moses, animal sacrifices became an essential part of the everyday life in Israel. God required animal sacrifices to provide a temporary covering of sins, but it also foreshadowed the perfect and complete sacrifice of Jesus. See, animal sacrifice is an important theme throughout the Old Testament because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sins. Now, here's what's so interesting. There were certain requirements for sacrifices that were offered for forgiveness of sin. First of all, the animal had to be spotless without blemish. Second of all, the person offering the sacrifice, they had to identify with the animal. And then third, the person offering the sacrifice had to inflict death on the animal. And as this was done in faith, it offered a temporary covering for sin. Somebody say, well, that's kind of a messed up system. Those poor animals, those animals didn't do anything wrong to deserve death. Exactly, that's the point. Something that did not deserve death was put to death in the place of the one who did deserve death. 
If you want to better understand this sacrificial system, write this down for me. This, this can be your quiet time one day this week. Leviticus chapter 16. Leviticus chapter 16. In Leviticus 16, it describes what is called the Day of Atonement. Jews still celebrate the day today. It's called Yom Kippur. And that word atonement is a significant theological word. The best, the best way I remember what it means is just breaking the word down. At one meant. It means to reconcile, to make amends, to make at one. And atonement allowed people who were distant from God to become at one with God. And in Leviticus chapter 16, we read about this day of atonement once a year where the high priest would go into the temple and he would go into the Holy of Holies and there were several animals involved and he would take one animal and he would sacrifice the animal and he would go into the Holy of Holies and in the Holy of Holies, there was this Ark of the Covenant. Some of y'all ever Raiders of the Lost Ark? This Ark of the Covenant, in the Ark of the Covenant was the law, the commandments. Over it, what was called the mercy seat. And the high priest would sacrifice an animal and he would sprinkle the blood over this covering, over the mercy seat. And the idea was when God looked down at the law, which had been broken by man in sin, that God saw this blood sacrifice, this covering that acted as a temporary forgiveness or covering for sin. The other goat was taken and the priest would lay hands on his head and he would pray, in essence, transferring the sins of the people onto the goat. And this goat was driven out into a wilderness and it became known as the scapegoat. That's where we get that phrase from. And so the Day of Atonement was a picture of not only the forgiveness of sins, but the removal of sin. Okay, well, why don't we still offer animal sacrifices today? Here's the problem with it. It was a placeholder. It did demonstrate the severity of sin, the cost of rebellion, the death that sin brings, but it was a representation of the perfect sacrifice of Christ that would later come to the world. It was simply a placeholder. And if you've heard of Jesus being referred to as the Lamb of God, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9. Write this down, too, if you're writing. Hebrews 9 and 10. That can be another quiet time. I'm taking care of your quiet times this week for you, okay? Hebrews 9 and 10. Here's the big deal about Jesus in Hebrews 9 or 10. Check out this language. 9 verse 11. But when Christ came as the high priest of the good things that are now already here, he went through the greater and the more perfect tabernacle that is not made with human hands, that is to say, is not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctified them so that they are outwardly clean. But how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself 
unblemished to God. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Flip the page to Hebrews 10. Check this out in verse 11. Day after day, priests would stand on platforms uh, and perform his religious duties again and again, and he offered the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why is Jesus the biggest deal? Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember the requirements for the sacrifices? Number one, they had to be without blemish. Jesus had no sin. He who was without sin became sin for us. Number two, the person offering the sacrifice had to identify with it. Jesus, who was God, who had every resource of heaven, became a man. He took on skin. He took on flesh so that he could identify, so that he could receive the punishment for mankind. And third of all, he had to be put to death by the one offering the sacrifice. Chuck broke it down for us last week when he said, you know what? The Romans didn't kill Jesus. Your sin and my sin killed Jesus. This is why when John the Baptist saw Jesus in John chapter one, he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He saw Jesus for who he was. And as these shepherds left their sheep to go see the Christ child, they were walking from the imperfect objects of religion to the perfect Lamb of God. From that which was a placeholder to that which fulfilled every promise of God. From that which would temporarily cover their sin to one who would save them from their sins. Why did Jesus come? Jesus himself said his mission statement was to seek and save that which was lost. Save him from what? The angel was clear when she appeared to Mary and said, you shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. I hear people say, well, you should give your life to Jesus because he'll help your marriage. You should give your life to Jesus because he'll bless you. You should give your life to Jesus because he'll help you with your problems. Those all may be great byproducts of knowing Jesus, but make no mistake, he did not come to make our marriages better. He came to save us from our sin. And as these shepherds left their sheep, which was temporary, and they encountered Jesus, something else became very, very obvious to them. Look in verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it, they were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart 
Verse 20, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that, that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. It's obvious that as they encountered the Christ child, that their perspective of everyday life was changed by Christ. It says they returned glorifying and praising God. Their lives were marked by a newfound attitude of praise and worship. Here's the big idea. Jesus changes everything. If you walk out of here with nothing else today, get this main idea. It's obvious the arrival or the advent of Christ is a game changer. It's a game changer in history. Literally, history changed at the birth of a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. Our calendar flips from B.C. to A.D. It, it literally changes history. But don't miss the fact that Jesus came to change the hearts of those who would seek him. This Christmas, all around us, we see people decorating and putting up lights and, man, watching all these movies on the estrogen channels and, and all this stuff. But so many people, like the religious leaders in Jerusalem, they miss Christmas because they miss Jesus. Just as the arrival of Jesus is the turning point in history, so responding to him today can be a turning point in your life. Let's bow our heads together. We see in the story of the shepherds that they illustrate to us the salvation process. They heard the good news, a savior has come to you. And then they accepted his invitation to come and experience Jesus. And as they experienced Jesus, they moved from the expectation to the realization, from hoping to knowing, from seeking to experiencing, from an object of religion to a personal relationship with God. You are invited to experience that same wonder today. You're invited to respond with the same urgency that the shepherds had when they heard the wonderful news that Christ had come for them. If you're here today and you've never experienced Jesus, sure, you know the story, you know about him, but you've never run to him. The Bible is clear that you can know him and you can know him today. Today, you can unwrap the biggest gift that's ever been offered to you. And it's done simply by saying yes to Jesus. If that's you and today, you would like to say yes to him. Today, you would like to respond to Jesus. Would you just say to him in your heart, God, I know that my sin separates me from, from you but I believe with my whole heart that Jesus is the Lamb of God who came to take away my sin. God, forgive me of my sin. 
Today I choose Jesus. Today I embrace Jesus. Today I commit my life to Jesus and I run to Jesus. I want to abide in you. Come into my life and save me now. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.